Welcome to Lee Company's Reclaimed Podcast. I'm one of your chaplains with Lee Company, Kyle Froman, and I'm excited you've taken the time to listen along with us today. We've entered into a bit of a new season with the Lee Company team with the launch of our Reclaimed Bible Study at Wallace Place. Now, I know that only a percentage of the Lee Company team actually works daily in Wallace Place, so I wanted to be sure that this Bible study was available to as many of you as possible. So that's the plan with this relaunched podcast, to make it available and accessible. Together, we're going to start walking through the Gospel of John. And with each passage we look at, I hope that we can find both a nugget of hope as well as a picture of response as we encounter God through John's writings. So with that said, we're going to jump right into this. We're going to be looking this week at John 1, 1 through 18. Now, I know this is going to be a big block of text for you to listen to, but here's the deal. Everything I have to say is, it's a bit fallible, but the Word of God is infallible. So if you don't hear any other truth, you're going to get to hear it in the reading of this first passage of Scripture. So starting at verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. From the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So before we go too far into looking at what I just read, I want to give some background on the heart behind what we just read. Now, I don't know if any of you are the scary movie type. I myself am not a big horror movie guy. In fact, if I want to be honest, I hate them. I'm just a bit too much of a wuss for them. But there's one that I watched as a teenager that still sticks with me today. It's called The Others. Now, I'm not sure what the statute of limitations on a spoiler alert is, 
but I'm pretty sure it must be right around 19 years. So I think we're safe talking about this one. If you don't want it spoiled, that's fine. Go ahead and just skip forward a little bit and I won't hold it against you. But the others centers around the story of Grace and her two children who are living in a house in Jersey post-World War II. Now, the three fear that the house that they're living in is also inhabited by ghosts. It's a crazy, suspenseful movie as it all unravels, and I must have figured out what was going on a dozen times throughout the movie. I mean, that's what we do, right? We try and unravel the story before we know the end of the story. Then the plot line hit. You see, the others in the home were the actual homeowners, the living and Grace and her children were the ghosts living in the home. It was insane. I mean, it gets me a bit freaked out talking about it now. But it's one of those movies that doesn't really make sense until you see the end of the movie. Then, when you see it, you can never look at the story the same way again because you know the end. That's the sign of a good story though, right? It builds to a climax. It leaves you guessing. It leaves you wondering. It creates awe and questions. That is not the book of John. That is not this story. You see, John is about to tell us about the life and ministry of Jesus because John was close to Jesus. John was referenced as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was personally close and connected in a way that wasn't remote or distant. And right off the bat, John wants us to know. He wants us to understand. He wants us to see what it took him three years to come to understand. You see, for those three years, the disciples were with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They spent time with him, but they hadn't seen the story unfold yet. They were trying to figure it all out themselves. So John wants us to know right out of the gate, this man, this man that he's about to write about, this man that he's about to tell us about, this man whose story that's about to unravel in front of us, he's not just like God, but he is God. We don't have to figure out the story like he and the disciples had to figure it out. He wants us to know on the front end. He wants that to be the lens that we look through the story at. He defines the story. He gives the spoil alert at the start so there are no questions. There are no missed interpretations. With that bold statement, we should also have some understanding as to why John wrote it. And this is found a little bit later in the book of John in chapter 20. And it was written to help people believe, to bring about faith, to incite this awe and wonder in us over what Jesus did. It's not just for believers, though, but it's that we might keep on believing. So with that foundation, with that premise, with that understanding of why John wrote the Gospel of John, let's get back to what John had to say about Jesus. You see, the way I really look at what he wrote, this first passage is really a verse 1 and verse 14 as one statement with a giant parenthesis in between. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word 
was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump to 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, to me, this is the crux of the entirety of our faith. This gives context and meaning to everything else we read within Scripture. The Word is Jesus, God in human flesh. Not an image of man or an apparition, but a physical man. God took on our form in Jesus. He felt sadness. He felt pain. He felt hunger, anger, frustration, despair. Before we read anything else in the Gospel of John, John wants us to know that what we are about to read, this, this is God. The miracles, the teachings, the sacrifice, the pain, the emotion, this is God we are talking about the creator of everything. We don't have to go through the story wondering, who is this man? A disciple? A good teacher? A philosopher? No. This is God we're talking about. God became human flesh. Jesus is God. But why the word? We could have used a lot of other descriptors. Could it be that John had come to see the words of Jesus as the truth of God, and he came to see the person of Jesus as the truth of God? Jesus was the word from God to us. This person and his word were so unified that it was a message from God to us. It was what God had to say to us. Not only what Jesus said, but what Jesus did was that word from God to us. As we get into verse 2 and 3, we're further asserting the deity of Jesus. He always has been. Nothing was made without him. He is closing off any room for debate about Jesus being God. Jesus being since the beginning. With the understanding that Jesus is God comes the implications of that statement. Jesus is life and Jesus is light. The thing about light is that it always conquers darkness. Light and dark cannot exist in the same space. The light is always the victor. I think back to a couple of years ago in the days following the Las Vegas shooting. The Las Vegas shooting hit very close to home for my wife and I. We were in Las Vegas the day that the shooting happened, traveling home to Nashville that morning. While we weren't in the city during the tragedy, a lot of people we knew were. They were at the concert. They were in the casinos. They were on the strip. And when I reflect on that experience, I reflect on the fear that the darkness created within me. The weekend following this tragedy that unraveled in Las Vegas, we were set to go to an Ed Sheeran concert, my wife and I. Now, I know I probably shouldn't be openly admitting that we're closet Ed Sheeran fans, but that's out of the bag now. But following this tragedy, this darkness that unfolded within a, such a public setting at a concert, I was really, I guess the best word is, is afraid to go to another concert in public. The darkness that had settled in was oppressive and overwhelming. And I remember being in the opening stages of the concert and my mind being fixated on what's the best way out of here if something goes wrong. It wasn't as much of enjoying the opening act and everything around me. It was, how do I get out when darkness wins? 
But halfway through the concert, this thing happened. And I know for most of you concert goers, this isn't a big deal and you've seen it before. But for me, this was pretty neat. All of the house lights were turned off in Bridgestone Arena. And one by one, people pulled out their cell phones and started lighting up their phone flashlights. And before long, these little LED lights had completely illuminated Bridgestone Arena. It was as if someone had flipped the switch on the house lights. And that's because of the reality that light conquers darkness. Every time, light overwhelms the darkness. And as John is sharing with us about this man who is God and the light that is within him, he reminds us that the light is not overcome by the darkness. And that evening, I was able to see a perfect example of a light overcoming the darkness. Try it. Go lock yourself in a bathroom or a back closet and turn off the light. Then find a flashlight or turn on your phone flashlight and watch what happens. The light wins every single time. And that's part of the beauty that John is wanting us to see within Jesus is that, yes, he is God. But more than just God with us, he is a conquering God with us. And that's why I love where this gets real for us down in verse 12. It says, But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, when I win as a parent, my children win. When I'm doing well, my children are doing well. That's where the term the silver spoon came from, or life with privilege. It's part of inheriting the Father's blessing, of being a part of, of owning what the Father has for you. And John said, to those of us who receive him, who believe in his name, we become children of God. So here's the crazy thing. If life and light is in him, we inherit that same light. And in this dark world that presses around us, we can't be overcome. That doesn't mean that darkness won't come. It doesn't mean hurt won't come. It doesn't mean we won't experience pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that darkness won't press around. But light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a beautiful, hopeful reality for us in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, in this fear-driven society that we're a part of, that even when darkness presses around, because we have become children of God, because we have His life and light in us, the darkness cannot overcome us. It cannot rob us from the security of being God's child. It cannot rob us from the security of eternal life in him. It's not victorious. And you see, John, he not only spent these three years with Jesus, but he went on to write the book of Revelation. So he knows how the story ends and he knows who the victor is in the end. And he says, guess what, guys? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So how do we respond to that? Where do we go with that? And I think it's found smack dab in the middle of this passage. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness 
to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You see, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was Jesus. The Word was God. He became man. He dwelled with us. Through his presence, we recognize that in him was life and it was light and that the evil and darkness of this world would be overcome by that and we were adopted as his children in believing him. So what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? I think it's twofold. For those of us who have not been adopted, who have not become the children of God yet, I think it's time for us to consider, is what John wrote real? If we believe the words of John that Jesus is God and that he did come for us, then we're called to respond to that. And that response might be to submit ourselves to Jesus, to make a relational commitment to the God of the universe that injected himself into our story. Now, what about for those of us who have accepted him, who have become children of God? I think our response becomes that of John the Baptist. I think our response then becomes that of John the Baptist. We bear witness to that light so that others might believe through him. How do we bear witness? Obviously with our words, but people are watching what we're doing more than hearing what we're saying. So we bear witness through how we work, through how we use the gifts and talents that God gave us. Yes, our words have to line up with our deeds, but it's a total picture right? If Jesus was God's word to us, it was because of what he said and what he did. So we bear witness through not only what we say, but also through what we do. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. What a beautiful picture that John gave us as we walk through this gospel as we walk through his retelling of his life and his experiences with Jesus. And it gives me hope today to know that Jesus was who he said he was. And it took John several years to fully understand that. And right out of the bat, he affirms to us, Jesus is God, that in him is life and that the light of men is in him and that this light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't know about you, but that brings me hope, that brings me peace, and that brings me life. And I pray that it does for you as well, that as you walk through the week ahead, you would have security and you would have peace in the realization that light shines in the dark and the darkness has not overcome it. I pray that that hope seeps itself into your soul and drives you to response in the week ahead. As always, if myself or Jeff Myers can ever do anything for you, don't hesitate to reach out. We're in your corner praying for you and cheering you on. Have a great week.